Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is September 18th, 2022. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How are you, my man? Oh, pretty good. Um, I can tell you from uh, experience that the people that were on CERB and then immediately went on to EI, I can tell you right now that their EI is running out. Oh, are you getting people applying for jobs all of a sudden? Yeah. <laughs> in a 24-hour tw- period here, Thursday to Friday, I received 15 applications and I only got 28 for the remainder of the year prior to that. Wow, and considering you've got, what, about a month to go until you start to wind things down? <laughs> yeah, a month and a half, yeah. yeah. And people, people are, they want to work. Well, uh, I mean, good for them, but uh, I have a hard time with that. I mean, honestly, I'd want to say, okay, well, you took yet another summer off. Um, yep. Sure, I'll, I'll, I guess take some help, but yeah, I'm having a hard time really feeling sorry for you folks. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's it's painfully obvious that CERB and then EI after CERB were a major part of the problem, and that's what you and I have been saying for it would happen for two years. Yep, exactly. And um, well, actually, that kind of dovetails right into our show topics. So uh, let's get right to that. So on the show today, hoops. We did it again. Healthcare still in crisis. Trump derangement syndrome strikes Canada. Air Canada electrifies the air. And dare to go bare. And more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, let's just start with the first one you you, uh, brought up. Absolutely. Oops, we did it again. We were right yet one more time. Now, um... We've talked about this, well, for a hell of a long time. So I'm actually just going to bring up right now the a screenshot that I had sent you yesterday. Now, if I can just find that said screenshot, because it is right there. This came from the Public Health Agency of Canada, a study from, I believe it was Public Health Ontario and the Public Health Agency of Canada, or Alliance, whatever it's called, PHAC at any rate. And... I'm actually just going to read the conclusion of this report. They studied the uh, the COVID crisis from an Ontario perspective. And the, the conclusion says, and I'm just going to read the bottom part here, it's given the statistical evidence provided in this report, the public health policy tools such as mass vaccination campaigns, mandates, passports, and travel restrictions need to be re-evaluated for relevance in this phase of SARS-CoV-2. The abundance of evidence documented by Public Health Ontario, Public Health Agency of Canada, and top-tier scientific journals uh, following the science demonstrates that the vaccines do not prevent infection or hospitalization. The Ontario data show that vaccination currently makes little difference in terms of hospitalization and death rates for those below the age of 60. Additionally, since there are no known risks of 
oh, so, so since there are known risks of adverse events and unknown long-term effects, these must be considered in developing vaccine policies. The empirical evidence investigated in the report from PHO and PHAC does not support continuing mass vaccination programs, mandates, passports, and travel bans for all age groups. And here, this is the part you and I are going to love the most, Lewis. Rather, it may be prudent to utilize a more targeted and cost-effective approach focused on vaccinating the high-risk group while factoring in an individual's potential risk of vaccine-related adverse events. Now, Lewis, do you remember who two and a half years ago when the whole pandemic lockdowns totalitarian garbage started who was saying hey why don't we maybe look after those who really need it the most and let everybody kind of do as they do do you remember who might have said that um i think it was these two dumbasses um on a podcast i believe you are right and i believe those two dumbasses might very well have been you and i it was (sighs) You know, there, there are times when I'm joining you in the I hate being right category. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I'm glad that, you know, our government spent who knows how much money on this study to come to this conclusion. And I really am glad. I mean, thank you, Public Health Ontario and, and PHAC for doing the homework. And obviously you and I hadn't done any homework at that point because there was none to be done. But wow, what do you know? We let common sense guide us, and common sense prevailed. Well, I'm I'm actually quite shocked that uh, Public Health Ontario and Public Health uh, Canada were actually honest about the ineffectiveness of the vaccines and the possible dangers of them. Um, that's not something I would have expected, actually, because... Uh, public health officers and governments over the past two and well over the past year and a half have not been honest about the vaccines ineffectiveness and the possible dangers they have not been honest they have not this is something i think um warrants a class action lawsuit um the and in terms of vaccine injuries um i know that they you you remember when they first came out with the vaccines and we found out that they gave the uh vaccine manufacturers uh you know johnson and johnson astrazeneca pfizer the, the governments gave all these companies immunity from being sued and when that happened, you and I were like, whoa, alarm bells going off here. Like, this is not a good sign. And for the past year and a half, Canadians receiving the vaccines have done so without, without informed consent. They were forced into it if they wanted to keep their jobs. They were forced into it if they wanted to go to a restaurant or fly. They, we had no, um, we had no 
informed like and when i say informed consent that means you are aware of all the possible vaccine side effects and nobody tells you any of that when you go to get your shot your doctor doesn't tell you anything about that all anybody ever says to you is they're safe and effective yeah, my doctor told me, and I I remember exactly what he said. He he repaired a Justin Trudeau's line. He told me the the best vaccine you can get is the first one in your arm, and at that time, that available vaccine was AstraZeneca. So I'm I'm glad I didn't take his advice then. Well, it's this is and this is what I um, this is why I say a class action lawsuit is is warranted because. We are supposed to have informed consent by law when receiving any any treatment. And we didn't have informed consent for the last year and a half when it came to these vaccines. I mean, look at the massive uptick in heart attacks in people under the age of 50. Massive uptick. Yeah, well, and one of my uh, co-workers who was 20 or 21 when he... He was 20 when he uh, took the vaccine. I believe it was AstraZeneca that he took and got myocarditis, spent a week in the hospital. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I know, and I get I that we didn't know a lot about side effects at that time, but we but we knew that there were risks. But, but yeah, but nobody, well, nobody told us. And there's a few things I've learned in the past week. One is that the boosters... Uh, that have been updated for the for Omicron, which if you're getting a booster for Omicron, um, then you're one of those people who are just scared to leave your house because Omicron is not dangerous. Um, the Omicron, uh, the the boosters for Omicron by from Pfizer were tested on eight mice. Eight. There, eight mice. There were no human trials. And the and Pfizer will not release the data on those eight mice. Wow. And so when they received emergency use authorization in the US, they received that uh, with just taking Pfizer's word for it. Jeez. And we're finding out along the way here that that's what happened with the first vaccine, the original vaccines. Those That data, the only reason we have any data at all is because there was a Freedom of Information Act request made in the U.S. prior to to uh, Pfizer receiving like 55-year um, time frame before they have to release the data publicly from, the, from their trials. Wow. And, and the data that we've seen so far from, from that Pfizer uh, Freedom of Information request is pretty scary. Like the majority of their trials showed no, no effectiveness. But they had like uh, two two out of their ten trials showed 
that the vaccine was effective. And those were the two studies or the two trials that they used to justify bringing the vaccine to market. Wow. This is, this is really scary stuff. I mean, do you remember that Ontario Health started advertising before, before they approved the vaccines for children? They started running ads on the sides of, uh, of city buses in Ontario saying, and I quote, Kids have strokes too. Wow. And they were just preparing us for the inevitable uptick in children children having strokes. Because I'm sorry, but children do not have strokes. Yeah, at least not before these shots came along. Children do not have heart attacks. These are I'm not going to say never because there are the outliers, right? But yeah. but we had a massive uptick in people under the age of 50 and people under the age of 20 having heart attacks and strokes, uh, myocarditis. Uh, there is a um, there is, and I found this out this past week too that. These are the numbers from the U.S., not from Canada, because Canada doesn't. You're not going to find these stats for a while in Canada because we we uh, we do a really poor job of, of data collection in this country. Um, but in the U.S., in the year 2022, so far, there is a 10 percent increase in all-cause mortality. Oh, jeez! All-cause mortality. There's a ten percent increase, and I'm going to and I'm and I'm going to you know go out on a limb and say the same thing's happening in Canada. Well, I'd say that's very very likely. Now, I do want to give quote unquote big pharma a break, not Pfizer. But at least Moderna, and you'd mentioned this way back when the vaccines productions even began, that Moderna at least had gotten a hold of the gene sequencing from the, the, the COVID virus when they made their vaccine. But, I mean, as we all know how it's played out, Pfizer has been the go-to. Now, even of course, Moderna is not without side effects as well. I'm not. I'm not here to promote Moderna's vaccine by any means. But I mean, at, at least they they tried to, uh, you know, I guess follow the science to use that overused term. Well, the the crazy thing is, is that for ever, forever, Canadians and Americans and and other people around the world. I've all had a very strong mistrust of big pharma because of drugs like Vioxx or uh, other drugs that have been pulled from the market because they they have uh, you know really really severe side effects that that can result in death. Um, I mean, Vioxx killed sixty thousand Americans. Um, They've had, uh, you know, many 
they're they're the driving the, the big pharma is the driving force behind the opioid addiction problem that we've got right now um they know how addictive they are but yet they told everybody that they weren't um you the the the, the problem is is that forever We've been mistrustful of big pharma and for good reason. And then the vaccines came along and all these people who were, you know, mistrustful of, of big pharma are all like, oh, this is the cure-all. Just take it. Don't even question it. Just take it. Um, and it, it's it's kind of shocking that, that that happened and and everything. And I mean, it's... There, I, I, I just think that you know, we're uh, we're going to find out a lot more in the in the upcoming year. Or so I think um, of just how how we were duped. That's and, actually uh, a good 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 word for it. We were duped. Yeah, and uh, because I mean, I, I I honestly don't think that the vaccines do anything. Um, and I've been thinking that for quite a while. I just haven't really been saying it publicly because, um, you know, I've been called an, a, a conspiracy theorist for much less. But you know, now I'm I'm finally saying it. I, it's I don't think they do anything. I mean, vac- like vaccine infections, hospitalizations, and deaths all increased after after vaccines came out. Yeah, and not and not even by a little bit. They they increased a lot. Yeah, well, I got to admit, I mean, I'm uh, looking back now that I I rushed myself into those two shots because there was some a lot of pressure from my employer and from the government saying you know I couldn't go to a restaurant until I got my two shots. But I'm uh, that's one of my bigger regrets in life is that I went out and got those shots because yeah. I got them and I guess I didn't test for for COVID, but I'm pretty sure I had it because my wife did test positive and I had the exact same same symptoms she had. So uh, yeah. shots I've, didn't I've help had, me at all. I've had COVID twice after being vaccinated. Yeah, so... so. I mean, it's... it's the, And I don't think that there's any way to really tell... And this is... Yeah, this is, this is the other thing when they said, oh, yeah, yeah it, 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 we never said that it was going to... Um, prevent infection or uh or stop the spread um yeah you did yeah hence the word vaccine and i I, I believe the exact words were if everybody gets vaccinated it'll stop the the covid in its tracks stop the spread and and that if everybody got vaccinated we could go all go back to normal and if everybody got vaccinated, you know, like it was just, it was, remember when, when the, when people were vaccinated and they were getting, they were being hospitalized when the vaccines first came out and they were going, Oh, breakthrough infections. I remember and, that. Yeah. And then it be, just became normal that, that you get vaccinated, but you still get it. Like, it's yeah i'm i'm so happy that people are finally opening their eyes to this yeah and 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 i'm so glad that you know public health ontario and public health uh canada are being honest about it 
and and I think that you know Justin Trudeau and Bonnie Henry and all the other public health officers across the country, I think they all saw this report before it came out. And that's why last week Bonnie Henry said there's no more need for for mandates or or uh, or restrictions because um, she kind of you know made that announcement just a few days before this report came out. And Trudeau, before I think I think there's a couple things playing here with Trudeau uh, changing his mind on things because before Pierre Polyev was elected leader of the uh, opposition, he said like the the information coming out of the PMO is that they were talking about making a Rive can mand- like permanent and vaccine mandates for arriving in Canada permanent. And uh, and there was just like no end in sight for the mandates in Canada. And uh, then Pierre Polyev was elected. This report comes out, and all of a sudden, the the information being leaked to the media is that Justin Trudeau is going to be announcing uh, that there's going to be an end to all the mandates. Yeah, I've heard the leak. I mean, I'll wait, obviously, until it happens before I buy it. But, yeah, you're probably absolutely right. Yeah, I think I think people, I think, well, I mean, we'll get into this on a different, on other topics here. But I think, I think Justin Trudeau is scared of, of Pierre Polyev. And that is one, that is, you know, one of the things that is going to change in Canada because of, just because of Pierre Polyev winning that leadership race. Yeah, exactly. Now, we will jump into that very leadership race momentarily. First, let's bat down a couple of smaller ones here, then we can tie into Pierre Polyev a little more. Air Canada has ordered 30 electric jets for their fleet from a Swedish company. And these these 30 jets are going to be used for their regional fleet, they they say. And it it was published in CTV. It was a CTV article. But of course because they know people tend not to read past the third paragraph, it is the very end of the article where it talks about the effectiveness of these planes. So <laughs> I uh, I had to laugh as I was sending you the article, because at the very end it talks about the fact that there are only 30-seaters, so they're very small planes. And yeah. uh, do you remember what the range for the electric flight was, Lewis? With a full plane, I believe it was 200 kilometers. 200 kilometers. So um, because we're here for you, Canada, we decided to do some research. And So, Lewis, how far in the air? Was it from Kelowna to Vancouver? Uh, 288 kilometers. 288 kilometers. So we've exceeded the range of the 200 kilometers on battery power. However, yep. Air Canada says, no, we've got your back because with these generators that are on, on board that are powered by, quote, sustainable aviation fuel, whatever that is, yep. we can increase the, the range to 400 kilometers. Or if we reduce the passenger capacity up to 800 kilometers, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling zero confidence here. So they're going to reduce the capacity of the plane and fly it at a loss? I'm guessing so. And uh, 
So I thought, well, you know, Air Canada will never do that. They always overbook their planes. Well, exactly. And then I looked at what would be the most common regional routes, and that would be like Toronto, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal. I looked at Edmonton to Calgary, for example, and none of these routes are feasible. So unless you're going to use these little planes to fly from, I don't know if you can, you can jump them back and forth. You can't actually land the plane and take off again anywhere. So wherever you go, you're going to have to recharge this plane. Yeah. But for example, Toronto to Montreal, 503 kilometers in the air. So you would not only be burning up the batteries, you would be using up those generators, and you'd have to reduce your capacity to make that flight one way. Yeah. Toronto to Ottawa is 350 kilometers in the air. So again, you're using them generators, so you're using aviation fuel anyway. And you're only going and, one and, way. And you better hope that you can land when you arrive and you don't have to circle the airport. Oh, boy, there! no, that's something I hadn't thought of. You're right. Or that weather isn't bad and they have to redirect you. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise you're landing on a highway somewhere. Yep. And, and 30, like, how many planes? 30? 30. Where the hell are they going to fly them all? Because I, I, I've yet to find a route in Canada where they actually fall within the range. Yeah, the only thing I thought of was maybe it's going to be, they could be used for charters. For example, you know, the board of directors from some company in, in Calgary has a meeting in Edmonton. So they fly them up there and while the meeting's going on and they're doing their thing, they'll charge the plane overnight or however many hours it needs to charge. So they can fly them home, but even Calgary to Edmonton is 279 kilometers in the air. Yeah, and that drive. I mean, if anybody who knows, the Edmonton airport is actually quite a ways out of town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, so once you fly to Edmonton, you have another half hour on the road <laughs> before you get to downtown Edmonton. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, like it, it's, it's, uh, it's, this is a joke. I mean, I, I, the only thing that I'm wondering is, is Air Canada doing this with taxpayer dollars? And that's why they did it, because there is no route in Canada that I have found that falls within the range. No, like I thought, maybe if you're on the East Coast and you're going to hop the little plane from Halifax to St. John's for people who are going home to Newfoundland, but if that's what you're using it for, I mean, and those type of routes... Um, you're never going to make any money. No. So it's, no. uh, yeah, it's crazy that, that, that they, uh, I mean, I'm guessing it's just part of Air Canada's new wokeness. So I, uh, I, I'm, I'm stunned that they would be wasting money because I'm sure these things aren't cheap and they're buying 30 of them. Yeah. I, I don't understand. I don't know where they're going to even use them. I don't know. I mean... Unless they're just planning on flying these things using the generators all the time. Well, I, I think they'd have to. I mean, and, and the generators, they're just burning jet fuel. So right, I, I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. Yeah, I don't either. So, Okay, we're going to talk very briefly about healthcare, and then we're going to talk about the new leader of our official opposition. Now, I know we've talked about healthcare, about ER is closing about people dying within sight of hospitals for the last probably four shows. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but when I read this story last night, I was furious. So 
what am I talking about? Well, we know that emergency rooms are having a hard time right now. Even if there's a uh, town south of Regina who closed their ER for all of Saturday nights and are just are going to be open essentially nine to five. And this happened in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And a lady, actually didn't, didn't, didn't say if it was female or male, but I'm guessing it had to have been a female, went into an emergency room in Fredericton. This is not remote, backwoods, one-horse town Canada. This is Fredericton, New Brunswick. Sexual assault victim goes to emergency looking for a forensic rape kit. What do they tell her when she gets there? Oh, um, we're busy. Could you maybe go home, avoid showering, and try again the next day? Wow. Yeah, that's... That is I, a sign I mean, that this is this disgustingly broken system. Yeah. I mean, I, I've... I, I've I've known someone who has been raped, and there is nothing more that that person wants to do than to shower. Well, yeah. I mean, to tell them to go home and not shower and come back tomorrow, that's disgusting. It's, I, I don't even know what to say. Well, what the hell happened to the Hippocratic Oath of do no harm? Like, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that, that's... I don't even know what to say. That makes me... That makes me angry and it makes me sad. It does, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, this is how pathetic our healthcare system has gotten. 61% of Canadians have no confidence that they can get timely access to emergency care if they need it. Only 7% of Canadians, this is an Angus Reid poll, said that they were confident they would be able to get timely care. 7% are happy with the system. Yeah, This is an absolute no. joke, and yet we continue to listen to people like Jagmeet the moron saying who just says, oh no, we just need to spend more money. We've been spending more money for 30 goddamn years and we've gotten nowhere. It's gotten worse. Yeah, it's gotten much worse. Like, our system doesn't work. It's broken. I mean, my town doesn't even have a walk-in clinic anymore. The walk-in clinic closed about six months ago. We don't even have a walk-in clinic. If you want to see your doctor, it's three weeks. If you want to, so now people are using the emergency room at the hospital as a, a walk-in clinic. Which and is that's not, the problem. And that's not what it's for. Right. It, it, the emergency room is for emergencies. You break your arm, you go to the emergency room, you, you, uh, uh, you know, you have a heart attack, you go to the emergency room. That's what that's for. And people are using it for oh, I have a cold, or I have the flu, or I, you know, I sprained my ankle. Like, you don't go to the emergency room for that kind of stuff, but because we don't have a walk-in clinic anymore, that people have no choice. And and that's exacerbating the problem. It's making it much, much worse. And, and the, the closest town to us that has a walk-in clinic, they only, I think they have two, maybe three, but if you are not signed up 
within 15 minutes of their doors opening, you are not getting in that day. Wow. It, it's, it is unbelievable what the, the, the state of our healthcare system and how people will defend our healthcare system to death, to their death, they will defend. And, and, and you know what? If, if you defend the system, you are going to die because it is that bad. Our, our system is that bad. If you have, if you find out you have cancer, it is eight weeks before you can have an operation to have the the tumor removed. Eight weeks, and and that's if you know you have cancer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is uh, one hundred and forty three thousand Canadians have died waiting for for care or for 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 surgeries, et cetera, in the last two years. So. Yeah, we've had I, I, BC here has had two high-profile cases of people dying waiting for the ambulance in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, so. I mean it's it's <laughs> it, it's just I, I don't even know what to say and how people can defend this system and say that they would rather have this system than the system in the U.S. Go to hell. Yeah, exactly. So, you might have you might go broke in the U.S. getting health your 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 operation or your treatment or whatever, but at least you get it. Yeah, that's right. And if you've got insurance, I mean, you get very well looked after. So yeah, and by the way, eighty percent of of Americans have uh, health care insurance that cover their treatments. Another ten percent have, or another ten or fifteen percent have um, have Medicaid. And then it's only like five percent that are uncovered in the U.S. Yeah. So, uh, like, like, don't, don't, don't let the media lie to you and and get away with lying to you. I mean, it's the same thing here in Canada. I mean, they're trying to push for the government to cover all our drug expenses in Canada. They're trying to push for them for them to cover our our dental care in Canada. Well. Our drug coverage, 90% of Canadians have drug coverage, 90%, through their, through their job or through their spouse's job. 90% have coverage. And then another, another uh, percentage have coverage through the government because they're poor and they get, and they get government assistance. Yeah. It's a very small percentage of Canadians that do not have drug coverage. Very small. And yet, we are pushing right now to have Canada, the Canadian government, cover all our drug expenses because of that very small percentage of people that don't have coverage. Yeah, shameful. And, and they're doing the same thing with dental care. Most Canadians have dental care coverage through their employer or through their spouse's employer. And and here we are trying to push. And we already, we already know you can't get cancer surgery for eight weeks if you find out you have it, because surgeons in Canada are limited to one day a week in the operating room. One day a week in Canada. And that's every province. That's not just BC. That's not just Ontario. That's every single province. The, the surgeons are limited to one day a week in the operating room. And now we're going to cover our dental care. Wait until you call Wait until you go for your annual checkup and the doctor and the dentist says, oh, you need two fillings. But I can't do them for four months because 
I'm limited to X amount of fillings a week. Yep, exactly. Because that will happen. I guarantee it. Yep, absolutely right. So, so from healthcare derangement to Trump derangement syndrome in Canada? Do tell, well, Lewis. Well, we already had Trump derangement syndrome in Canada. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I didn't like the guy. But because he's he's a crazy person. Um, but let's let's talk about how people like the media in Canada have gone from Trump derangement syndrome to Polyev derangement syndrome. Oh, have they ever? Um, I commented to you uh, that I have not heard the word Trump, the name Trump evoked in our media so much as I have since Pierre Polyev became leader of Canada's official opposition. Like I was watching a, a CTV show on, on CTV News World or whatever their, their 24-hour news channel is. And yeah, they had a couple of strategists on and oh, it was Trumpian this and he's turned it into a Trumpian party, far right, extremist and just another Trump and he's channeling Trump and it was Trump, Trump, Trump. And I had to look and say, okay, am I still in Canada? Because uh, I get it that they're, they're trying to associate Polyev with Trump, but I'm hearing the name Trump much more than Polyev. Yeah, well... I mean, all you got to do is go look at the Toronto Star newspaper. I mean, I know you don't want to, um, <laughs> and you you probably avoid it at all costs. But I've just been looking at it every day for the past week, just just out of curiosity. And every day there are two to three, sometimes four articles about Pierre Polyev. So the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail are obsessed. With Polyev, and it's and you see every so often the Toronto Star actually has a positive article about him, saying how he's hitting all the right notes, he's saying all the right things, and all this. Which I had to do a double take because I was like, "Is this actually in the Toronto Star?" But then it's followed up by three articles saying how he had a week of self. Oh, what's the one that I saw? A week of self-injury or something like this, where it said that all all Polyev did all week was, was do damage to himself. And I don't know how that happened because I didn't see any of that. Like, I read that article and I was like, whoa, when did this happen? Because I, I didn't see this happen. But apparently... Polyev is doing a lot of damage to himself. Um, but there's... And then one said, uh, blurring the lines between libertarianism and authoritarianism. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's, it's just... It's unbelievable how... Polyev derangement syndrome has taken over the Canadian media, and there was no clearer case of that than David Aiken of Global News. Yeah, and actually, you know what? Since you brought that up, let's just play that clip right now of uh, David Aiken heckling Pierre Polyev. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate your presence here today. Uh, before I begin, let me just say that uh, 
they, how did that help thank, thank you very much. Am I being, I'm being heckled here by, by, by the... By, thank you very much for your congratulations. Thank you very much for your questions. I'm going to begin my remarks now. Justin Trudeau is out of touch and Canadians are out of money. The cost of government is driving up the cost of living. A half a trillion dollars of inflationary deficits have bid up the cost of the goods we buy and the, and the interest that Canadians pay. The cost for workers and businesses to produce the goods that we buy. On top of that, Trudeau proposes yet more spending to bid up costs Trudeau even further. The more, things the more he today? spends, the more things cost. It is just inflation. Their homes and to buy a home in the very first place. The reason that... The look, yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we have... We, we have uh, basically a, a liberal heckler who snuck in here today. I'm a liberal to, heckler. Well, I work the, for News. I'm the chief political correspondent right. of that organization. Are you going to let you me make my mistake? You from the guy who actually reported yeah. first on the prime minister breaking the law. Yeah. Are you going to we let me make like my mistake? just like to ask a question. Say, yes, I've, so never, I've actually never seen you heckling the prime I've minister. Before. Ask Minister Baird back, back in the day. the prime minister. Look, bottom line is this. I'm going to take some questions at the end of this statement. Yes, I'm taking, I'll be taking two questions at the Excellent. very end. Thank I'll, you very much. Thank you very much. The, uh, so I'm going to start my statement again. I mean, that, uh, that says it all right there. I mean, the, uh, the media has taken their cues to try to define Pierre Polyev before he can define himself to Canadians, except what they forget is that Pierre Poilievre has been defining himself as a high-profile MP for 18 years. We know who he is, despite uh, David Aiken openly attacking him, despite the Toronto Star and CTV Global all going after him. We we know who he is. Yeah, and, and the and the thing is, is like they keep saying how he's extreme right and all this, and well, then how come he's appealing to young voters that? that up until just recently were supporting the NDP and supporting the Liberal Party because those two parties have abandoned all ideals that, that, that people find important in Canada. And he's talking to these people. He's talking directly to them because people, young people especially right now, are angry. And they're scared because they don't know if they'll ever be able to afford a home, if they will even be able to live outside of their parents' basement because of how expensive everything's getting. And and Trudeau does not give a crap. No, he doesn't. I mean, they're so bereft of ideas that even with seeing all the money they rained on people during the pandemic... They're just trying to rain some more out to say, oh, well, we'll just double your rent su subsidy. Well, all you're doing is just increasing the price of rent by doing that. Like They're doing the exact opposite of what Pierre Polyev is proposing. And young people aren't stupid. And millennials aren't stupid. Gen Z, the, you know, the 18 to 24-year-olds that can vote, aren't stupid. They're seeing this. They're seeing that, okay, everything just keeps getting worse with, the, with Trudeau doing the exact same things. This guy actually makes sense. And you're right. I mean, these are people who 
would have voted NDP had they voted in the last election. And Pierre Polyev is, is speaking to them. He's speaking to anti-establishment voters who used to vote green. And now they're they're showing up at Pierre Polyev rallies. So the media yeah. is absolutely on the wrong side of this. But, uh, yeah, but, but, but there's a good reason for them being on the wrong side of it, because they're scared. That's right. Because they're scared that when Polyev becomes prime minister, that their that their you know subsidy from the federal government goes away. That's when when Pierre Polyev becomes prime minister, that CBC is gone. Um, actually, since you brought that up, I want to I wanted to make one point about CBC. I actually have to laugh because. Uh, Vashi Capellos on power and politics. I mean, you and I are, are, are fans of hers. She actually plays it pretty straight. But I have not seen her book, Corey Tanaik and James Moore, more since Polyev has been, uh, been in the driver's seat than ever. I mean, not, I've seen Corey Tanaik on power and politics, I think, three times just in the last week. James Moore at least twice. So... So I think there's, 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 she's probably thinking, well, if we start being a little bit more, uh, give a bit more attention to conservatives, you know, they're trying to play the game to not get defunded. I don't, I don't know. I just think it's funny. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a good point because I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Vashley Capellos because if you watch her show, you have no idea how she votes and, and that is rare in today's media landscape. Um, but, uh, I mean, let's, let's be real. If, if, if CBC goes away, when Polyev becomes prime minister, people like Vashi Capellos will find a new job in the media easily because she is really good. That's right. Um, but CBC, it does need to go. It, it's gotta go. I mean, it's it's a drain on on public resources, and they keep begging for more money, and uh, because they can't make it go on on ad sales because nobody watches the damn channel. Well, even Global is now uh, begging for for taxpayer dollars. Whoa, what a coincidence! Right after David Aiken attacks Pierre Polyev, they uh, said, "Oh, yeah. they're uh, they're hurting and they can't make it." And I say, uh, actually, our listener Christopher commented on our our Facebook page on, on that article saying, hey, you know what? Sink or swim on your own. And Christopher, I could not agree more. If they can't make it on their own, bye-bye, Global. No, I mean, it's, if you're not, if you're not covering Canadian politics and Canadian issues fairly imbalanced, you're going to suffer um, because people are done with being gaslit. Yeah, and, and I think I think people I think people are starting to really come around now, and I mean you and I have been saying for what five years, you know what what does this what does Trudeau got to do to lose support? Well, I think it's taken a long time. I think people are finally having uh, Trudeau fatigue, and they're 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 done with him, and I think they're done with. With uh, they're they're just angry now, and and I think a lot of people are angry because they realize that they've been duped, and um, and it took them a long time. They were in denial; they didn't want to admit that they've been duped, but now they're just pissed. Yeah, and um, 
I want to talk, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And I think that Pierre Poilievre's choice for his, his uh, shadow cabinet leadership team is really telling because not only has he put together a really good cadre of people, uh, he has headed off any kind of attacks from Trudeau and company that could possibly say that, oh, here's a bunch of extreme bigots. Oh, wait a minute. Who's in that shadow cabinet leadership team, Lewis? Oh, there's two openly gay MPs. Uh, there's, uh, you know, Tim Upel, who is a Sikh member of parliament, um, and he's a deputy leader. The other deputy leader is Melissa Lantzman, who is a, a gay Jewish woman. Um there's, uh, I forget the name of the other fellow who's, uh, who's gay as well. Eric Duncan. Eric Duncan, yeah. He's openly gay as well. I mean, they've got a pretty diverse group of people in the leadership team, and, and you can't criticize them for it. Like, no. like, like Poliev did a, did a really good thing. I mean, he, he picked a team that can't be criticized. Yeah, I mean, he's got good representation from Quebec. He's got representation from Western Canada. I know that Tim Upple, for example, is from Edmonton. Um, yeah, he's done a really good job. I mean, uh, it's 10 people. I did question the idea of having two deputy leaders. That's apparently never been done before. And I, uh, I do question that. I mean, I kind of get it because there's one from Western Canada, one from, from Central Canada. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, I I criticize that move right off the top because it's like, okay, um, we've got a whip and a deputy whip and a house leader and a you know a caucus liaison. So I was almost thinking, okay, we've got you know a rather you know kind of redundancy from somebody who's talking about small government. But unlike the mainstream media, I'm willing to give him a chance and see how it plays out. Well, I, I think that he's done what he's done because he needed to incorporate as many people from different parts of the country and different uh, personal backgrounds. Oh, that's uh, a good so point. That he, so that he could say, you know, put together a team that is beyond criticism. That you can't criticize him because he picked too many white men. You can't criticize him because he picked, you know too many straight people or whatever, right? Like he's, he's done a good job of mixing it up. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I like you, I'm, I'm hoping that once he's in power that, and he does put together a, a proper, like a real cabinet, like a governing cabinet that he follows his, his, uh, uh, he does what he's, what he's been preaching all along. And that is have a smaller government. Well, and I think he will, and uh, I think that you're absolutely right when you say you had mentioned earlier, and this might have been before the show that you even said this, that it's obvious that Trudeau is scared of Pierre Polyev, and we know the media is. I mean, you can tell that just by their reactions. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I really think that there's a lot of institutions who are like, holy crap, this guy might actually become prime minister. And, I mean... 86% of all new jobs that were created through this pandemic have been civil service jobs and bureaucrats. And those jobs aren't guaranteed if we have a change in leadership. Yeah, there is, this is something that people don't understand. 
all they do is they look at the uh, unemployment numbers and they go, wow, look at that. We have the lowest unemployment rate we've had in decades. Yeah, but you've got to remember how they count um, unemployment rates. They don't count you if you're not on EI. That's a good so, point. Um, and the other thing is, is that, uh, yeah, but 80, 86% or whatever, is it 86 or 87% of all new jobs in Canada over the past year and a half have been with the federal government. Yeah. Over 300,000 new jobs are, that were with the federal government. Yeah, that's staggering. So, yeah, I mean, technically... Trudeau is responsible for bringing down the unemployment rate, but not because private sector businesses are growing. Only no. because the federal government is growing. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, all right, Canada, we've come up on our time here, but I want to cover this one last story just so we can put a smile on your face at the end of the show. Now, we had covered this... I think it was last year when this petition first uh, started circulating, and Elizabeth May was the one who brought it forth in the House of Commons to uh, present the petition, that or present the start of the petition, anyway. And this petition was to get rid of laws that are that prevent public nudity, and um, and we had a good laugh at the time because their their rationale was that oh, because you know the washing of laundry is bad for the environment and there's a bunch of other reasons well <laughs> enough crazy people i shouldn't say that enough freedom loving people who want to be free of their clothing in public have signed this position petition enough so that now the house of commons must consider said petition so i asked you before the show if elizabeth may was the one who had first you know, supported the petition. When she presents this petition to the House of Commons, does she have to be in the nude? God, I hope not. Um, Why is it that people who always support, you know, nudity and legalized nudity, (laughs) public nudity, why is it there are always people you don't want to see naked? Exactly. Um, Now... I live in the Okanagan, which is Western Canada's summer playground. Um, This is where everybody comes to holiday in the summer. And I have personally witnessed this summer alone, I personally witnessed this summer alone, four car accidents because of bikinis. Oh my now, God! Now, if there are women who are nude, this—can you imagine how many accidents there will be then? Like, I'm—I consider this a public safety issue. That's actually a good point. I mean, there was a, a lady a couple of years ago here, and even in Saskatoon, who was uh, just strictly for the attention took off her top because she was playing her ukulele in this park and then suddenly took off her top and then got a lot more attention for playing that ukulele. I wonder why. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's like, it's like how long has topless uh, women 
going topless, how long has that been legal in Ontario? I believe it's been like at least a decade. I think you're right. right? Yeah. yeah. Have you ever have you ever heard of any women going topless in Ontario? Like, I, it's just something that doesn't happen. Like, you can make this legal all you want. It's not going to change anything. People aren't going to be walking around naked. It's it's kind of a silly thing, but it's uh, and I mean that whole safety thing was a bit tongue in cheek for me, but <laughs> there is some truth to it because I did see four car accidents this summer because of bikinis. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's it it does happen, um, especially in Penticton and along the along the channel. Um, anybody who's been to Penticton, you'll you'll know what I what I'm talking about when I talk about the channel. It's uh, and there's uh, it, it's like the floaty capital of Canada. Like just that that it's a it's a it's a like a river that goes from. Okanagan Lake to Skaha Lake, right through Pentec, and right along a major highway, and uh, and people jump on uh, like like inflatables and ride from one lake to the other, and it is a sea of inflatables and people, and but at the end where everybody gets out, you have hundreds of people standing around and you know, shorts or bikinis or whatever. And that's where the accidents always happen. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> so let's hope if the government decides to go through with something like this, that maybe yes. they just limit the, the, uh, the behavior to, well, private, more private places and not just public sidewalks. Yeah, but like I said, I don't see this being a problem because being topless in Ontario has been legal for a long time. And I, you, you just, and I've been to Ontario a few times. You don't see anything like that out there. So I'm not worried about it. It's just, this is, it's, make it legal. I don't care. Nobody's going to do it anyway. So, yeah. So, uh, good luck, Elizabeth May. And, uh, we'll wrap yeah. it up right there, Canada. Just see, just think about Elizabeth May in the park naked and that should probably give you a good opinion about this upcoming petition. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to leave it there, Canada. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next week, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. <laughs>